how you think. In the course of time, you will become on the outside what you think and believe on the inside. The devil loves to take advantage of a mind that is ignorant or uneducated or not uh, understanding what's going on around them. The devil will take advantage of the vulnerable mind, if you will, or one, listen, he will take advantage of a mind that is pushed around by wayward emotions. This is where, in my opinion, that the couch of the psychiatrist has gone astray. They will convince people of mental problems, mental difficulty, mental dysfunction. Uh, they will convince people that there's something wrong in your head. And when you are convinced of that, you are more vulnerable to the devil's ploy against you than you ever have been. If you dwell on the fact that I'm the byproduct of a dysfunctional home and my dad was this and my mother was that, if you dwell on that long enough, you will literally make yourself vulnerable to the trickery and the deception of the enemy. Everybody say amen. If you convince yourself that I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good wife, I haven't been a good kid, the devil will take advantage of the way you think, turn it in on yourself, and destroy you. It's prevalent everywhere you look. J. Oswald Sanders said, The mind of man is the battleground on which every moral and spiritual battle is fought. Vance Havner said, Our defeat or victory begins with what we think. And if we guard our thoughts, we shall not have much trouble anywhere else along the line. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 15, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Romans 12 verse 2 said, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. You literally learn how to think different. Amen. He goes on to say that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is determined, the will of God is determined in your life by how you think. Amen. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, Thou will keep him, thou will keep him in perfect peace. This is a person who is plugged into God, who has a healthy relationship with God. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Why? Because his mind is stayed upon thee. And as Brother Lawrence eloquently taught this morning, and that person trusts in God. Jesus ultimately concluded in Matthew 22 and verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. 
the Bible is into your heart and putting together the broken pieces of your life as we've heard generically preached for years. But he's also, the Bible is also into the idea of taking what goes on between your ears and changing it so you can do the will of God, so that your gifts can be brought to the kingdom, so you can live for God successfully and have a healthy relationship with him. There's a couple of men that Jesus mentioned in his teaching that to this day we have no idea what their names were. But so powerful was the lifestyle that they developed. It can help us to see the importance of how we think. The first man I want to introduce to you is the man with the hand on the plow. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Why is that? It's because you have changed the way you think. You've changed the way you focus. Instead of at one time being a diehard for the kingdom, fired up, plugged in, and doing anything and everything God wants you to do. You decided, I'm going to look back that way. There's men, there's stuff back there. There's things back there that I miss in my life that I want to go do. Jesus said, Jesus said, the man that turns his back and looks back taking after putting his hand on the plow is not fit. You're no longer in a mindset. You don't understand kingdom principles anymore. You don't understand the will of God anymore. You don't understand times of trial and testing anymore. You don't understand you've unplugged from all spiritual content. Jesus was addressing a crowd of people who were considering following him when he made that statement. But they had various difficulties if you read Luke chapter 9, you'll see that they had very odd difficulties. They, they couldn't plug in to what Jesus was trying to say. Uh, there was one man that said he couldn't give up his home. In Luke chapter 9, 57, 58, there was another man that said, I can't give up dead relatives. It's a major issue in our society even today. People can't get past things that have caused them grief, they can't get past it to accept his invitation to the kingdom. There was one man said he couldn't give up his family. If they don't do it, I'm not going to do it. If they're not going to follow you, then I'm not going to follow you. So let's have a big party and all go to hell together. I don't want to be brash, but that's what the man was saying. All of their excuses prompted the metaphor that he used that day. The man that has his hand on the plow and looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean it can't change, but you have to change the way you think. You have to change your priorities. You have to change your focus. Perhaps Jesus, perhaps Jesus reverted back to the memory of the carpenter shop under the direction of Joseph and his careful instruction when Jesus used to work there. Perhaps Jesus had just finished making a plow. 
Perhaps it was his first plow that he had just finished making. And the farmer came to pick up his new plow that Jesus had just made and soon was in the field turning over the dark, rich earth, uh, all of the dirt. And perhaps it was on such a day that Jesus had gotten the permission of Joseph to slip off for a little while and watch the farmer from a distance as he used the plow that Jesus had just made. Maybe this was what was going on in Jesus' mind when he used that illustration. As Jesus watched, listen to pastor. As Jesus watched, he foresaw the very day in Luke chapter 9 coming. When he would speak about this nameless and faceless farmer. He had intensely watched the farmer use that plow that he had made to plow his field. He watched the discretion of the farmer with the seed that he was going to plant. He noticed the care that he had for his oxen as they were in the yoke in front of that plow. He observed the precision that he adjusted the plow to dig into the earth. and He, he, mo he noticed most of all the focus. The focus, everybody say focus. He noticed the focus of the farmer as he plowed the field. He never looked back once he started plowing his row. The force of his focus was to continually move forward. He took that plow and he held it and he cut it. He cut deep into the soil. When he got to the hard ground where the rocks and roots were contentious, he never, he never lost his focus. He just kept plowing. Hallelujah, God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. When he got to the place that the weeds had taken over the fallow ground, he just kept plowing. I must say here in passing, those of you that are committed to the kingdom, committed to grace, committed to what our vision is, we're going to hit stony ground. Brother Lawrence, we're going to hit times that are contentious and hard, but somehow, with the help of God, we've got to keep plowing, keep plowing, keep your focus, keep moving forward. Don't look back. I'll be honest with you here this morning. I've never used a plow like that. I'll even be more honest. I've never used a plow at all. <clears throat> Thank God. I'm so thankful to go to Walmart and buy a can of corn instead of going through all that trouble. Even though the can of corn don't hold a candle to what you get out of fresh out of the field, I do know that much. But I'm sure there's people here today that's used a plow behind oxen or a mule or somewhere, something. Brother Alexander, in all due respect, probably if you've not done it, you remember the days when it was done, when people used a plow way back in the day. There's something in the heart of that farmer that says, the dumbest thing I can do when I have just started a row, and you know how they're straight as an arrow, man. 
they have to be straight as an arrow if they're going to be cultivated right, if they're going to get the right amount of water, if it's going to drain off properly, etc. All of that has to be, it all has to be engineered. But the farmer knows that once I start that team of oxen heading in that way, I don't care what comes, I don't care what goes, I don't care what's in the soil, I don't care what the plow hits, I've got to keep my focus if I'm going to feed my family. If I look back, it's over with. You don't harvest. You don't harvest anything when you look back. So I can only imagine how many drops of sweat fell on that plow handle. I can only wonder how many blisters burst on that plow handle. And the water that comes out of a blister eventually turns to blood. Could it be that there were some tears that fell to that plow handle when the farmer thought about, I did my best last year, but I didn't harvest what I planted last year. And I only pray to God that I can harvest what I plant this year. And I'm not going to look back. Even though I failed last year, and even though three years ago wasn't a good year either, and I failed, and perhaps tears streamed down the sunburnt, wrinkled face of the farmer, he determined if my family's going to eat, I can't look back. I can't use it based on the past. I can't allow anything to get in my way. My family is what's important to me, and I can't look back. I've got to keep my focus. As a man thinks. It didn't matter what what was in his heart that day. It didn't matter how many bags of seed he had and how healthy his oxen was. It didn't matter how new the plow was and who made it and the brand name. It didn't matter about intentions. It mattered about purpose. It mattered about focus. It mattered about future. And regardless of what happens, I must keep moving forward no matter what I hit in the ground. Everybody in this house today is going to have to endure some calamities in life and some deep, deep disappointments along the way. But these things have the power and the ability to elevate your life and make you better if you can just learn to think right. farmer had an aim his ultimate aim was a great harvest but in the interim he had to focus on plowing straight rows I have to keep straight and I have to keep moving forward Benjamin Franklin had 13 values this point in the message would be worthwhile for a lot of us to go back to the website when it's posted and listen to it again This is what Ben Franklin did. He identified 13 virtues whose regular practice would make him a better and more successful person. I would to God I could scream this for the next three hours until that's all you hear for the next week. I don't say that facetiously. I'm saying it very passionately. I've lived this and it can be done. He identified 13 virtues that he needed to apply to his life if he was going to get better. 
if you're going to be a better man. They included temperance, which is a self-control. That is a great place for everybody in the house to start. Is to learn how to control yourself. We teach our kids, but we as moms and dads don't often practice it. He wanted to include silence and order and resolution and frugality. Industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity. Boy, that's huge in our society today. Has it occurred to any of you married people that you can't run around with somebody else's spouse? And I hope it occurs to our young people, you want to ruin the potential of a good marriage? Sleep around with people before you get married. You want to mess up a good thing for the rest of your life? Every time you're intimate with your spouse, you're going to wonder about them eight people they were with before they married you. Think about that. And then he concluded his 13 virtues with humility. He knew that just writing down the words on a list would have little effect on day-to-day behavior. He knew that people do not change by thinking, but rather by doing So he set himself on a self-improvement program and concentrated on practicing each of these virtues for one week before moving on to the next. Each week of practice, he believed he would create a habit of behavior that would stay with him over time. Then the 13 virtues would be a part of his manner of living and dealing with others. He even kept a notebook where he recorded every lapse of virtuous behavior as a way of keeping track of his progress. He changed the way he thought. For as a man thinketh, so is he. The virtue of industry was what we might commonly refer to as time management. Ben Franklin wrote in his journal, lose no time, be always employed in something useful, and cut off all unnecessary actions. This made Franklin one of the most diligent and focused men that have ever lived. His thinking, his thinking is what pushed him in the right direction. So if you're going to think right, then you must have right focus. Life must have a focus. Life has to have a definite aim. Our directions are, our actions are always in harmony with the thoughts that we have. Our actions are always in harmony with the thoughts that we have. Whatever we are thinking will dominate us so that we will find ourselves pursuing our thoughts. That is why Paul was so insistent on making sure that we had the ability to think right. Some lose their focus and look back when they start plowing for the wrong reason. When people look back, when they look back with their hand on the plow... They are, it means they're not willing to give up some of their friends and social connections that are pulling them backwards. Some give up a relationship with God because they don't want to give in to their sin or because they do want to give in to sin just one more time. Some give up their relationship with God and look back because they're tired of spiritual tension and misunderstanding that is created in their soul. What could be said about Lot's wife? In a summary of her actions, 
She was looking back while she was getting out. People said it here this morning. The gifting that God has given you, that you're living it up in the world and sin and all that stuff. God gave you those giftings to use in the kingdom. You're looking back while God is trying to bring you out. That's the attitude of a host of people in our generation who are caught up with this mindset. As a man thinks, as you're thinking, I'm challenging you here this morning. I told you it's going to be different. But I'm challenging every person in the building today. Does the way you think bring you closer to God? Or does it take you further away from God? If the latter is true, you need to change the way you think. You need to change your point of view when it comes to Scripture. You need to change your point of view when it comes to preaching and teaching and lifestyles. If it's not bringing you closer to God, you need to change the way you think. One of the great dilemmas of life is that we have an interest in what is in front of us and an equal amount of interest in what is behind us. And the halfway person will ruin everything they set their hand to. For a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You can't go forward looking backwards. You can't get out, get in while getting out. It don't work that way. You can't look back while you're getting out. It doesn't work. You have to have a single focus of mind, a single purpose of mind, the Bible teaches. Henry Ward Beecher said, hold yourself responsible for a higher standard than anyone else expects of you. Never excuse yourself. Never pity yourself. Be a hard master to yourself. So the farmer found in plowing that day that where, listen to pastor, please listen, where your mind is, your body will follow. So if his mind is at the end of the row, guess where his body's going to be in a few minutes? Y'all getting it? Anybody getting it? You got to change the way you think. There's people here today that's lived a certain lifestyle for years and it hasn't worked. Everything in your life's falling apart. The reason you can't change, you'll come down here and squall and bawl and speak in tongues and you're back to the same thing tomorrow. The reason you can't change is because you're not changing the way you think. You come up here and pray through and tomorrow you go back thinking the same way you thought when you came. You have to change the way you think. For as a man thinketh, Wherever your mind is, your body will soon be there. I want everybody in the house set up straight and listen close. Give me some latitude. In the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr., he writes about growing up in Atlanta, Georgia. He said, I remember another experience I used to have in Atlanta, and I despise this, what I'm fixing to read. But I'm going to share it with you because I want to conclude with what he said. He said, I went to high school on the other side of town to Booker T. Washington High School. King went on to say, I had to get the bus in what was known as the Fourth Ward and ride over to the west side. In those days, rigid patterns of segregation existed on the buses 
so that Negroes had to sit in the back of the bus, whites were seated in the front, and often if whites didn't get on the buses, those seats were still reserved for whites only, so Negroes had to stand over empty seats. That's stupid. I would end up having to go to the back of the bus with my body. I had to go to the back of the bus in my body. But every time I got on that bus, I left my mind in the front seat. And he said, one of these days, I'm going to put my body up where my mind is as a man thinks in his heart. So is he. And there's folks here today, and there's a lot of people here today that you have followed your brain all over sin and the world and unhappiness, and you've been torn apart, and your family's been torn apart, and you don't see a future. It's because you've been letting your body follow your brain everywhere it tells you to go. But I'm going to ask you today, the next time you walk in this house, put your mind right on the front row. Put your brain right there. Put the way you think right there. And one of these days, if you keep doing that, your body will catch up to where your mind is. I'm telling you, those people that says, there's no hope for me. God has given up on me. That has nothing to do with anything. It all boils down to how you think and where you put your brain every morning when you get out of the bed. King did. He kept putting his mind on the front seat of the bus, and he did. He finally got there before he died. Can you think it? If you can think it, God will empower you to do it. It's good stuff. The second man that Jesus talked about was the mer merchant man. The merchant man. He is also a man without a name. But he shows up in one of Jesus' parables, as did the farmer and the plow. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 45, In the kingdom, again the kingdom of heaven, is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Jesus was probably making reference to one of those traveling jewelers of the east that went on land and sea in search of goodly pearls. He was always searching for a more precious pearl than what he currently had in his possession. One day in his travels, he is rewarded when he discovers a pearl like none he had in his collection. It is of great size. It's a perfect form, and it has brilliant beauty. And the light was cast off of it in a million different directions. In his wildest dreams, he had never expected to ever find such a treasure. 
when he uh, was told the price, when they told him the price, when he was told the price of the pearls, he never tried to negotiate and figure out a way that I could get it cheaper. He never went and sat down and said, look, I have this huge collection. Let me give you these and a little bit of money in exchange for the one that you have. He didn't try to figure out a scheme where he could steal it and get it underneath the radar. Jesus said. He's going to have it for his own. He will have Brian, you did an awesome job last Sunday. And I would to God everyone could hear that record as well as what Brother Mike talked about. But we've taken money and value and valued it. And we've got it all mixed up. So if there's something priceless that you want, we can save. It'll usually be there. And sometimes, even in a better form, by the time you save enough money to go out and buy it, wasn't the case here. This was a traveling man. He traveled all over that known part of the world looking for that one pearl, and he found it. His search was finally coming to an end, but it had a price tag attached to it. People approach the kingdom today, and they want it based on their preferences, and they sit down and they negotiate with God. I talked to somebody, a wonderful person, just a, just a, few, a few days ago, a few weeks ago, and I asked him straight up, what, what do you want? What do you want in the kingdom? What do you want to do in church? And that person responded, just boom, just right back, tears and eyes and all of that. And said, I want to be this. But then followed up by essentially saying, but I know I can't do that because I can't live the lifestyle that it requires. Well, how bad do you want it? You're not hearing me today. Do you want fulfillment and the contentment that comes with a relationship with God? How bad? How much value does it have? On your list of priorities, is it in the top five? Is it in the top three? Oh, but Brother Murphy, man, I found ways to work around all that stuff. I can have all of God I want. I sat down and had a conversation this past Friday night with one of the most wonderful pastors that I've ever met in my life, Brother Ronnie Malasco and Thibodeau. And we had a long, hard discussion about a lot of things and ultimately came to the conclusion. There's a lot of religious movements in our area that has a lot of great things to offer. But I've talked to enough of those people and I've read enough of what their pastors write. They're in search of more. Yes, they have lots of pearls that are worth a lot of money. I'm using money just to illustrate the point. 
They have a lot of things in their repertoire of spiritual existence and sustenance. They have a lot of substance. And do they love God? Yes, they do. But you know why they live, in my opinion, oftentimes a substandard lifestyle? It's not because they don't want the pearl of great price. It's not because they're not willing to pay for the pearl of great price. They've just not yet found it. But when they do, they will. You don't know the stories that I hear oftentimes. Pastor Langford, and perhaps he'll share some of it next Sunday. But he's just met a pastor of a Hispanic church some in, somewhere in the Lafayette area. And they have believed in certain doctrinal things. Not, not holiness, not lifestyle, but hardcore Bible doctrine. And met Brother Langford and said, man, I've been reading. Man, I've been studying. Man, we've been looking. I know there's more and there's things in the scripture and I know it's there, but I'm not obeying it. Can you help me? That church was literally joined with their church last Sunday and they had over 500 people at Landmark. They were sitting in the lobby. They were sitting in the hallways. They were sitting on altar benches. They were sitting on the platform and these people, Brother Langford has told me, is willing to do whatever it takes. There's men in search of pearls in the scripture that they don't yet have that will give up their church, their denominational standard. They'll give up anything to have the pearl of great price. And we want to negotiate. This thing will change your life, man. It'll give back the meaning to your marriage that you once had. It will intervene with your kids and struggles that they have. I have found it overwhelmingly interesting. Overwhelmingly interesting. I'll be transparent and I'll confess. I love Whitney Houston. That gal could sing, son. And if you didn't think she could sing, you need therapy, in my opinion. I went and bought the, uh, what do you call the music from a movie? I can't think of it. Soundtrack from The Preacher's Wife. I watched that movie. And I went and bought the soundtrack, and I can still in my mind, in my ear, hear her singing, I love, love the Lord. Come on, Brother Wayne. How he pitied every groan. Long as I live. She said, I'll hear him. Hear him. I was amazed at hearing him at her funeral yesterday about three years ago in her life God wasn't a big deal but as some have reported when she took a sedative and got into a tub of water and drowned all of a sudden we want God to show up somebody showed me the comment that Kevin Costner made at her funeral yesterday and I was just blown away when he refers to a speaking in tongues experience in the home. 
amazing when you come to the Jordan and it's time to cross over. You want God to slip his hand in your hand and say, here I am, Lord. That merchant man, Jesus said, I don't care what If I'm going to have that in my possession in our life, I'm going to have to sell every other pearl in my life. I'm going to have to sell the one that my mama gave me. I'm going to have to sell the one, that brooch that my great-grandmother wore years ago with that pearl right in the middle of it. And I'm going to have to sell the favorite one that my wife has. And, and I'm going to have to sell that one that I took to the pawn shop. And he said, man, I can, I'll give you X number of dollars. And I'm going to have to sell that pearl that I took to a jeweler. And he said, this thing is worth a million. I'm going to have to sell it all. And Jesus didn't stop there. He went on to say, he went on to say that the man was willing to sell his home, his oxen, his field. He was willing to sell everything he possessed. Now you may think he's crazy. You may think he's lost his mind. But this man had one single focus of his entire life. He had only one thing on his mind. I'm looking for a pearl. And buddy, when I find it, when I find it, I don't care what it costs. No matter what they said the price of that pearl was, to him, it was a bag. Every person, no matter what the age or circumstances of that person, is pursuing something. The way you think is what pushes you. Would you pursue? You'll always have to refuse the urge to quit and to throw in the towel. And there's going to have to be times when temptation will have to be said no to. I wonder how many times the merchant man had to deal with the criticism of well-meaning people and perhaps even his own family and his own wife. You're a fool. You're, you can sell your pearls, buddy. But now you're talking about selling the house? You can sell all of your hobbies, sentimental stuff, but we ain't moving nowhere, buddy. I wonder if anyone ever told him that this was probably a huge waste of time. If your godly, righteous thinking leads you to a lifestyle that people think you're a little crazy because you live it, so be it. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for a pearl this morning that our world just can't possess. The Bible said that Abram left everything. And he looked for a city. In the 1960s, people thought that President John F. Kennedy 
was a little bit mad when he made his speech on May 25th, 1961. He said, I believe that this nation should commit to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single project will be more impressive to mankind or more important in the long range of exploration of space. And none will be so difficult and so expensive to accomplish. Not everyone was sold on it, but urgency and focus pressed JFK onward. In a speech at Rice University in 1962, he said, We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our exercises and skills. Everybody wants the easy way out. There's a lot of my lifestyle and then the pursuit of the pearl that I'm after that I don't like living all the time, but I'm willing to do it. Six years after JFK was assassinated, we got there and back, all because somebody pushed forward with a focus as a man should. There's a great, great price on the pearl, the pearl of great price. Paul carried the pearl through imprisonment, darkness, shipwreck, and martyrdom. Shadrach carried the gem through the furnace, heated seven times hotter. Elijah hung on to that pearl through his depression. Jeremiah found company of the pearl when he was in the pit. David took solace from the pearl when he was in the cave of Adullam. Joseph clung to the pearl of great price when he was in the pit and when he was thrown in prison. And all of those people martyred in Hebrews chapter 11 died in possession. Multiple others have let this pearl of great price sustain them in their darkest days and their darkest moments. So in conclusion today, it's all where your mind is as far as a man you are and have become what you think there was a poem written about two men who were in prison sister Anita two of the most important lines of that poem go like this two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. Just the two mattered. Does a man think so easily? You can live with the mud, or you can give yourself to seeing the stars. It's a choice that you have to make. And you can only make that choice in your mind. I want to conclude this morning, if you'll stand with me, with some questions. And I'm going to ask you to direct your attention to the screen to my right and left. Question number one. What are the three most important things you do in life? Everybody look at the screen. I've preached a long time. I've preached hard. I'm sweating. So... Pamper me here for this. What are the three most important things
you do in life? Question number two. How do you measure the results, success, and accomplishment in those areas? Number three. What special gifts, abilities, and talents do you have? Number four. What are the three most important goals in your life? Number five. What actions are you taking to get to those goals? Next question. What are you going to do about the following aspects of your life? Spiritually, personally, family, health. Finances. Next question. What are three skills that you could develop that will help you? Next question. What are the greatest opportunities you have available to you right now? What are the greatest opportunities that you have available to you right now? Next question. How are you going to take advantage of them? Next question, what are the three biggest worries and concerns you have? Next question, what could you do to change those concerns immediately? What three personal qualities do you have that you are the most proud of? Next question, what are three weaknesses that you would like to overcome? Next question, what three words would you like people to use to describe you when you die? Next question, what three most important values do you believe in? Next question, do you have those values in your life? Next, who are the most important people in your world? Next, what would you do with your life if you knew you only had six months to live? Next, what would you do if you had $20 million in the bank but only 10 years to live? Next, what goals would you set for yourself if you were guaranteed complete success? Next, if you could have a magic wand and make your life perfect in every respect, what would your life look like? Next, knowing what you know now, is there a situation in your life that you would not get into today if you had it to do all over again, including work, parenting, marriage? Church? God? Next, what are ten goals you would like to do in the future based on what you know? Next, what are the obstacles that are hindering you from getting there? Next, what are you going to do to overcome them? Next, who can help you get to that particular goal in your life? Finally, are you willing, are you willing, with the help of God, to master your attitude and decision in your life? Is there no one? I will say to you again, and you're probably weary with hearing it. You're looking at a man that has lived my entire ministerial lifetime for me based on the principles that I preached today. And it worked. See, when I was 20, 21, 22 years old, 
I didn't think like I think now. I had a runky attitude now. I thought everybody hated me and blah, blah, blah. And I just didn't see any way out. And with the help of God, I wrote, Sister Murphy can verify what I'm saying is true. I wrote down some things on a piece of paper, and I taped it to the mirror that I dressed in front every morning. As much as it's a shame it's been Frank Turner. This is the way I did it before I knew Ben Franklin did it. But one of my huge things was moody. I was a very moody person, bad moody. Up, down, probably bipolar for truth was known in all due respect. I could plummet in a second. I'd get up and leave social functions for no reason. Just didn't want to be there anymore. Nobody's like, wow, what's wrong with him? They had no idea. I wrote on a piece of paper. I'm not going to be moody today. When that feeling comes, I'm not caving into it. I'm not going to do it. And I prayed and I prayed. And I cried and I cried. I spent several years just go to the prayer room at church. And all I could do was cry. And when I prayed at home, all I could do was cry. And I'd drive to work some mornings and drive home some afternoons and just cry. And God, I hated myself. I hated. It wasn't particularly that I hated myself. Let me rephrase. I just hated the way that I would think all the time. I I hated my perspective of life. I just, I didn't want to pursue anything. I have found the merit and the fulfillment in the scriptures that says, as a man thinks, and if you start thinking right, you'll start living right. If you start thinking God, you'll start living God. When you start thinking in your mind, I want God, then you'll start wanting God. It's all in how you think. You can pray through a million more times, and God will accept you, and God will give you forgiveness, and God will cleanse you. But until you change the way you think, you want a better marriage, you want to be a better parent, start changing the way you think. You were asked that day when you converted, when you were born again, you were asked that day to give your heart to God. And you did. Brother Tenney says, you can really tell when a man has given his heart to God or not. It depends on whether he gives his pocketbook or not. When he gives his pocketbook, then you know he's given his heart. Today, I'm not asking you to come give your heart to God. And I'm not going to ask you to give your pocketbook to God. We're going to do that next month. Seriously. Today I'm going to ask you to give your mind. Give God the way you think. There's a purpose. There's a fulfillment in life that all of you are looking for. You can have it in Him. The Bible says with joy Shall you draw water from the well of life? But you have to give God your mind and change the way you think. I'm not trying to start an occult, and I don't want to sound cultish by saying that. I'm not into brainwashing people and all that stuff. But the Bible said that by the renewing of your mind, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. You want more out of life? You can have it. While they're playing and singing softly, 
I'm going to ask people from all over the building to start trickling down to the front one by one. God, help me, empower me to change the way I think. Come on. You want to be different? You want more fulfillment out of your relationship with God and your marriage and parenting? Come on. Put your money where your mouth is this morning. Put your mind where your mouth is this morning. You want more? You want to accomplish more? You want to do more? You want more fulfillment? You want more satisfaction? You are what you think. Your body will follow. Your body will follow your mind. Sing, Casey. All over the front this morning. I want some people to start going through some mental exercises right now and just start saying, God, my mind is yours. And when I want to think stupid tomorrow, I'm going to depend on you to help me not to do that. And God, when I want to go sin and I want to do that one more sin one more time tomorrow, God, and for the rest of today, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cave into that today, God. Today, God, I'm giving you my mind. I'm going to start thinking different. I'm going to start thinking your way. I'm going to think the way you want me to think. I'm going to think the way the scripture teaches me to think. I'm going to start thinking right. Sing. Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Come on, folks. There's people here today that need to do some soul searching. God has an incredible future. God has an incredible future. God has an incredible future. He's gifted you for your future. He's given you a personality for your future. But you've taken your mind and you've gone the wrong direction with it. Give your mind to him today. Give your mind to him today. Come on, folks, all over the house. This is not a spectator sport. Somebody put your mind into what you're doing right now. You want things to be different? Start thinking different. Start thinking different. Start thinking different. Your old way of thinking ain't working, man. It ain't taking you anywhere. It's not gaining you anything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Come on. That's right. That's right. That's right. Get rid of those chains. Get rid of those chains that the world and sin and life and family has put around your neck. Get rid of all of that, man. Change the way you think. Change the way you look at things. Life can be better starting right now if you're willing to change the way you think.